Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Force Ghost Conversations. This is your host, Anthony King, and this week I'm going to take a deep dive look into Willow Episode 2 titled The High Alduin. Before we get started, I'm inviting you to join the conversation with us. We can be found on Twitter and Hive at Force Ghost Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok just by searching Force Ghost Conversations. We look forward to connecting with you on those platforms. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your listening site of choice. Finally, please be sure to check out our T Public store in order to purchase some Force Ghost Conversations merchandise of your own. And without further ado, it is time to gather around the campfire for some Force Ghost Conversations. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another installment of Force Ghost Conversations. And as you probably surmised, we are continuing with our weekly episodically whatever you want to call it we're going episode by episode through all of willow and i hope that you are enjoying all of the fun at home as much as i am episode i mean we just got two great back-to-back episodes of will that really set the story up well has great pacing excellent characterizations and development of those characters is a strong continuation from the first film into this sequel series. And at the time of this release, episode three has already come out. And I know people have already been raving about it who have already seen the episode via screeners. So I cannot wait to watch it when I get home from grad school this evening. But to keep up with our weekly or episodically released episodes, this is when we are releasing our episode two uh, discussion, if you will. So be on the lookout for the Sunday when our episode three conversation will come out as well. So just be on the lookout for that. And we thank you for listening and for sharing the show. It's been great to get have all these wonderful Willow discussions with each and every one of you on our social media channels and also to go on other podcasts, too. We recently were on Reading Between the Reels with Craig Dickinson uh, to discuss the original classic Willow film. So that was excellent and a wonderful time talking with Craig. So if you have the time and you want to continue the Willow conversation in the vein of the classic original film, be sure to go check out that podcast. Um, And I don't think you'll regret it. It's a wonderful conversation. Craig's a great dude. So, yeah, that's that's a slight slight plug there. For, for all of that. But again, thank you all for, for listening, for sharing the show, and for continuing to have wonderful conversation space that is for those conversations for these types of deep dive discussions overall. So with that, folks, just some more housekeeping. Because this is a midweek episode release, we will not be doing Cloud City gossip during this time. However, rest assured, if any any news is dropping this week, we will be sure to cover it on our Sunday episode, which will cover Willow episode three in great detail. So 
get ready for that. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, uh, rate, review the show. Tell us, tell your friends about us and all that stuff. You know, we love to continue to grow the seats of the campfire here. And this is certainly a great entry point to Force Ghost Conversations, as if you're into Willow. Um, of course, we have a few Willow episodes right now on the podcast feed. But if you're into Star Wars, too, you can go check out all of our recent 60 plus episodes over the last year about all things Star Wars and or Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Book of Boba Fett, Star Wars Celebration. It's all there. So just go check out our recent episodes. I don't think that you will regret it whatsoever. So with that, let's dive into the discussion on episode two of Willow. And this is called the High Aldwin, right? If you recall from the first film, there is this kind of magical sorcerer leader, if you will, of the of the Nelwins, the, the race that Willow is a part of. And that is what Willow is is trying to do is become the apprentice to the High Aldwin. The High Aldwin is his magical uh, wielding magic wielding person who is of great stand, uh, you know, he has great stand in the, in the community of the Nelwins, uh, very highly respected, regarded, at least from what we were told. I'm sure we'll get some more information about what the High Aldwin actually does in this series, because that's pretty ripe storytelling. It's certainly tip of the iceberg, if you will. So I think we're going to get a lot more into that one. But we learn in this episode that Willow is now the High Aldwin. He's he's become a great sorcerer. He's he's done the work needed to become this excellent hero that he set out to be. And he's achieved all of his goals from the, the first film. He wanted to become a great sorcerer. He wanted to become High Aldwin. He at least wanted to be his apprentice. He knew the answer to the, the High Aldwin's challenge, the finger challenge. Uh, trick the finger test if you will that's as what we will see a laura dannon uh face in this episode too right the the power to control the, the world is in which finger it's in my finger right it's it's i have the choice to make this to make this change and that's make this happen right this is things that we we know as a fi- audience base that has watched the first film but of course laura does not pass the test um so we're going to get into all that as we talk about the episode here, but that really just the title makes sense. And I think in an overall grand perspective standpoint, too, you have to think here, if you're t- looking at the archetypal characters of what these, 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 this group is now, we're, we've got our fellowship set here, right? Uh, Borman, um, Willow, we've got Graydon, Kit, Jade, Elora Dannon. And of course, um, Silas. I think I think that covers all of them. Um, but in this time, Willow is now the older, wise sage that is accompanying the group on their journey, and he is this teacher, whereas Lord Dannon is now the mentor. So that's that's really cool. So we're going to see this kind of change of dynamics from the first film, which is going to be really interesting. It's almost going to be like in the sequel trilogy where we had to see Luke Skywalker do a bit of training to, um, to Ray, right? The, the roles have been reversed here. He's, he's, he's no longer the student. He's now the master teaching magic to Alora Dannon. So I, I think that's a, a, a great place to have a set here. It's a slower episode compared to the first one, but it's full of rich character intrigue and development that I think will have long lasting standing for the rest of the series. So the episode is directed again by Stephen Wolfenden, who did the first episode as well. And it is written by Bob Dolman, who actually wrote 
the original film back in 1988. So that's pretty cool. I like that there's a that neat connection between the past to the present. And who else to, you know, be a part of this series? I, I would be hopeful that he would be at least uh, in some way, shape, or form an executive producer, if, if nothing else. But I'm glad that he actually was able to write an episode for this series. And maybe he does more later on. I don't know. I, haven't, I don't really look ahead to see who's going to write episodes if, if that's been announced yet. But I think that's just neat. And it's also great for John Caston to have that other voice in the room. Um, maybe he knew what potential sequel plans were at the time if Willow was a major box office success, right? These are things that probably were in place at the time and never just came to fruition. So I wonder if that has some influence overall in what this series is going to be doing. Yeah, maybe. Hard to say. But episode two does this big, big episodic flashback to start. Um, Willow comes to Tiris Lean to check in on things. You know, he wants to see what Sorsha is up to and all that. So, and also to see what Alora Dannon is doing. But Willow has a, a very dark prophecy that he wants to share. He has this nightmare vision. I'm going to keep calling it that. It's, it's a dark future that um, shows like how they're able to, you know, it's it's a little confusing to me a little bit here, like at, at points, because I think he's withholding some information here, whether it's he's accurately 100 percent truthful about what he's able to see. And I mean, he gets this nightmare vision, it seems like pretty frequently where um, he basically sees the end of the world or if it's like the way for us to have our salvation at the end of all things after this great climactic final war. It's, it's yet to be said, like, you know, of course, visions can always be misinterpreted, misunderstood as we go throughout our years and as more experiences. And, and of course, always in motion, the future is I mean, there's no set way that this could actually be the future until it actually happens. So this is all just potential things. It's a potential timeline, right? If you believe in um, oh, golly, I believe it was Doctor Strange, right? Where our dreams are multiverses that uh, are existing. Um, this is just one potential timeline that could come to pass. Um, but overall, I would love I love the de-aging work that is done on Work Davis in this sequence. If there is any, this could have just been makeup, frankly. I don't know. Sorsha, too, also looks really great, too. I, I think that could have been some, some de-aging, too. But it, it looks like it's taken place maybe a couple you know, five or so, six, seven years after the events of the first film, because Laura Dannon is slightly older here. But I will say the goatee is super superb on Willow. It's an excellent facial hair addition, if you ask me, to his already excellent mane, his hair. He's got that neat hat on. Um, and he suggests that Laura Dannon needs to be trained, right? He kind of rejects the the fear-based mentality that Sorsha is, is taking here. Um, but I can't really blame Sorsha. She went through this traumatic experience with her with her mother, and and she feels a great strength, a strong protection uh, for this child here because it's what brought her this family that she now has. So she kind of sees the Lord Dan as her own kind of family in a way. Uh, but Willow also because he's just as much she's just as much yours as she is mine. Um, so he wants to have a stake in basically how they're trained uh, or how she is raised. This is kind of co-parenting, if you will, between the two of them. And he wants to, he's like, I'm High Aldwin now. I can train her in great sorcery because Finn Rizal and Sheryl Andrea are, are gone. They use up the last bit of their strength, their magic, in order to put up that barrier to protect Tirasleen. 
Bad Mardigan has, has been sent by Sorsha to go out beyond the barrier to find the Chimerian Curass, which is something that is within legend and lore, this, this incredible armor piece that will hopefully bring about some salvation here. Now, that's an interesting plot thread that I hope comes to pass, because Borman obviously survives. He's the squire that goes along with him. He's in jail, of course, at the first scene, or in the first episode, and he's released to accompany this fellowship group on their journey. But there's something going on there. I, I mean, it's not necessarily stated that Mad Mardigan is dead. So I don't know how this is all going to pass at the Val Kilmer of it all, if he's recast or if he actually is killed off screen or something like that. I thought he was dead coming into the series. That wasn't something I was expecting to see at all. I thought they mentioned that in some maybe interview or maybe at Star Wars Celebration. Um, that's kind of the sense that I got from all this, but I, I, I can't really can't really be too sure about that. But there, he basically says that like Alora needs to be trained; she's be able to protect herself. Otherwise, she'll forget her magic abilities. I mean, that's that's pretty true to real life here. If we forget, if we don't if we don't nurture things like our talents and our abilities, right? If you learn to play guitar, right, you have to put in the practice, the effort, the work. Otherwise, you know, it'll just drift off as as time goes on. You, you'll lose things, you'll lose technique, you'll lose muscle memory, your stamina, your ability to do that over time, and you'll have to work just as hard again to reclaim what you what you once lost, if not even harder, um, because things are actually harder when you try to relearn them later on, as as uh, I think many of us at home can understand. Um, but Sorsha is really mean here. And, and this ties back into something that was in the first episode too, where she's mean to her to her children. She definitely has these aspects of Queen Bavmorda still still within her. Uh, she makes note of that too. I mean, she's very apparent. She's like, you know, I, I still have the spirit of my mother in me, for better or for worse. Like, there's nothing I can really do about that. Uh, so I can just try my best to to reject that 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 part of my heritage in a, in a way. But she is definitely so mean here when she's like, you're not great. You're not a great source. Why is she being mean to him? There's no reason for that. She's just making choices out of fear again. And that seems to be a consistent theme within these first two episodes is in the fear-based decision-making. Because we come to it, and and then it's Alora Dan doesn't even know who she is. She doesn't even have a name, right? She's this nameless character that's just given a, name, a pet name, a love pet name, Dove, by Eric. And this girl has to learn who she is over again. Like, that's crazy. So honestly, I understand where I don't, you know, I understand why Warwick Davis Willow runs out of Tira Slaney after, you know, trying to talk to Alora Dan later on. And just how, how bullish that Sorsha can be. That definitely exhibiting some signs of, of, of her mother there. And I wonder if Mad Morrigan was there, you know, he would have stepped in and been like, Hey, you know, let him go. Maybe he'd been that other third voice in the room that would have said something otherwise. But, you know, when she's with the Daikinis, um, you know, it's almost seems like Sorsha has like one leg up on Willow when it comes to that. But he goes off to his, the Nelwyn village. They're basically underground again, which is an interesting thing because the world is not a safe place for people. Even after the events of the first film, when you think that evil has been destroyed, um, clearly the the weathered crone is is out there. She's got the gales, and obviously no no barrier strong enough to keep enemy out forever. So while Tiraslene has been living in these comforted, very safe, protective barrier underneath this dome of of, of this veil of of protection, 
Willow and the Nelwins and these other tribes and groups out here are are underneath are still fair game for these evil entities, the Bone Reavers, the golly gee, the the Gales, who knows what else is out there, what evil forces may be attacking people. So the, the Nelwins had to go into these underground villages in order to more so protect themselves, which I imagine is, is, is terrible. We see Willow at the beginning of the first film and he loves his, his house, his land, his, his crops. He's a farmer. He's has a strong connection to the land and now he has to go underground for protection. That's not great. So, you know, Tyrus Lean is living on a, on a, on a high, high horse over there, you know, not having to deal with these, they have these privileges that they don't have to face on outside the, the barrier. Um, and that was all for Laura Dannon to protect her because she is this, you know, last hope for, for the world. Even though Willow has that prophecy where for, in order for her, for the world to survive, she must die. Like, I don't know if that needs to come to pass per se. So we'll see how, how that all plays out because she could, of course, could have been fake. She could be faking her death to, to, to get the one leg up. But the nightmare sequence is something that's really fascinating. I mean, it's certainly the darkest thing that the series has done so far overall from even the first events of the first film. I like the look of Willow in that nightmare sequence too, where it is, uh, he's got that, that's that scraggly old white beard and all that, man, that I, I wonder if that's going to come to pass um, in a later season. Maybe it does. Maybe it's this climactic battle that we get, maybe like a third season of Willow if we get beyond uh, season one. So here, here's hoping. But I will say, the honestly, the Nelwyn village is just as cozy and charming as, as in the first one. It's just underground now. And I love seeing that Warwick Davis's daughter has a role in this film. Mims is is the character, but it's 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 you know that's Willow's daughter, and it's and it's his daughter too. Uh, I believe their name's Annabelle. Let me confirm that because I still have my notes from the first one. Yep, Annabelle Davis plays Mims. Um, so Willow's got his his high Aldwin outfit. He's got this great humor about him. Uh, although the Nellons don't necessarily care for his humor, I certainly do. We got a Bones reference. I will consult the Bones. Willow's certainly the high Aldwin here. It's just taking these beats from the first film and putting it to the test. Praise the bones, right? Uh, clearly, Alora Dannon has certainly forgotten all of her magic, though. She does not pass the finger test well and all of that. So we're we're, we're off to a, a slow start when it comes to those uh, character beats. So she's going to have to really put herself in a, in a, in a better place and, and do a lot of practicing to get to where she needs to be in order to fight off the weathered crow. So what we learn is that the Gales, um, the villains that serve the Weathered Crow, are, we learn the name of one of the creatures. The sorcerer, remember, is named the Lish. And what he's doing is he, you may have recalled from the first episode, he infected Commander Ballantine, who is kind of like the, the chief guard of Tiraslene, if you will, chief knight. That uh, really is 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 a part of uh, Sorcia's court and and it helps to protect the, the the realm. But the Gales find out that Laura Dannon has revealed herself, and Sorcia finds out too that she has left Tyrosine and sends out Commander Valentine to go save her to bring her home. Which it may not be great because she actually sent um, a pawn of 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 the Lish to to go get her. Now <laughs> that's not great. Because, of course, he turns his other buddies to 
um, serve the Lish too. So that's not great. And of course, at the end, when they capture Lordan, and that, that really pays off as as well. But Willow wants to keep Lordan in a known village in order to save her. But I mean, come on, she is lovesick. She wants to go find and save Eric. She for, firmly believes that uh, that you know what, whatever she com- comes to pass, she will learn along the way, and she will do whatever she needs to do in order to save the one that she loves, which is Eric. She pronounced her love to him in episode one, and she will go to all lengths to do so. So th- they want to rise to meet the challenges that lie ahead. And that's, that's right. That's great. They're, they're not doing fear-based decision-making here. It may be, you know, irrational what they're, what they're doing, heading headlong into a, a villainous group that they don't know anything about too much or have the ability to wherewithal to, to stand off against. They're also traversing aspects of the Willow universe, the Willowverse mother world that they have also never been privy to seeing. So I think we're going to probably pass by Nakmar at some point, the old castle from the first film. Who knows what we're going to go across along the way here. But we got some wonderful, heartwarming moments between the group here. The deal is struck between Willow to teach Alora Dannon about the ways of magic because they have this symbiotic relationship between the, the two of them. He needs her in order to help defeat the weathered crone and she needs him in order to find and save Eric kind of works out. They have a mutual agreement here and they uh, journey off along with this group of fellowship members to go to the immortal city. I mean, this is so much of the spirit of the Lord of the Rings here and kudos to Wales for just looking gorgeous and beautiful here. I mean, this series could almost be an advertisement for the Welsh country um, and the countryside. It's, Absolutely stunning and gorgeous. And I hope it has that effect almost the way that New Zealand did for Lord of the Rings. But we'll see how how much cultural impact that this Willow series has overall. I mean, it's certainly doing its work for me as a fan of this stuff to want to go out and, and visit that. So something else that I wanted to note that is really great here is the kind of the interpretation of magic in this series. Where magic is almost like the force. And I loved Willow's description of it to Alora Dannon. It's kind of similar overall to what Obi-Wan describing the Force to Luke. It's this energy field that connects all things, and it's us to, uh, up to us to tap into it. Uh, whether we, we practice our abilities or not, we could believe in it. We believe in ourselves. We, we, we are able to, to gather our strength from magic, and we can utilize it and channel it through various means. So Willow sets her up, Dan with her big test. It is growing this plant from the seed. But... She can barely even get the, the 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 way to speak the words down well. I mean, it's almost like a day or two that she's practicing this nonstop. I can only imagine that the group is just absolutely getting terrified that um, I would I would go nuts, frankly, if I were to overhear someone to say the same line over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but I was I was kind of in the seat of the other people. Where I was like, say it right. <laughs> it's good. Come on, you can do it. I believe in you. Uh, but she does, uh, you know, it, it's like riding a bike. You never, until you get it the first time, it's one of those deals where you just kind of keep getting back on the bike and all that stuff. So, you know, she's doing her best. We actually get a bit more of an understanding of what it actually means to utilize magic in, in this world. So this is the great 
mentor stuff, teacher aspect of Willow that we're getting in this series that we didn't really get in the first film because of its of its quick nature and pacing. We learn that in addition to magic kind of being like a conduit for what the Force is, that in order to really be a master sorcerer, she needs to, Laura Dan, and we'll have to get over and understand the four pillars of magic, which are the basics. These include charms, potions, concentration, and divination. She got to learn all that stuff before moving on to the advanced stuff, which is battle magic. Um, so she's got, she's, she's definitely got the, the, the odds stacked against her. The, Willow has no idea how long this is actually going to take. And that time is actually also their, another enemy that they're facing here too, whether it be Eric's ticking clock in the Memorial city or this group from the, um, the lish that is commander Ballantine and his, and his gang of knights that are hunting them down. Yeah. There's going to be some growing pains overall, but this is, I mean, in terms of the group's dynamic together too, this is just a bunch of outcasts. that just met each other or outsiders, or frankly, those that feel like outsiders too. I know that kid is certainly not an outsider because of her standing and position, but she feels like an outsider amidst her own home because of the treatment that her mother gives her from time to time. So they're obviously bound to have some growing pains a lot of along the way. And Kit has some of her mother's stubbornness, but I still hold true that Kit and Eric are certainly the children of uh, Mad Morgan. I did like that sequence at the end where Graydon basically tells Alordan that everyone else believes that she is capable of doing this stuff. She's capable of being a great sorcerer. She's capable of leading. They all may not show it in the same way, but they certainly do want to see and believe that she can do that. But she doesn't believe in herself. That's really what's holding her back here. She needs to have that inner self-confidence to believe that she can do it, even if she didn't know that she's a Laura Dannon. She still needs to have some self-confidence in Dove. She had to have some self-confidence to be a great baker, right? Why doesn't she apply those same skills to that, right? It's patience. It's, it's, it's focus. It's learning technique. It's learning the basics. It's not about cutting corners, right? There's a great line of symmetry, frankly, actually, from connecting baking, which I would have actually, that's kind of on the spot here, me just thinking about that, to to her learning magic. That's a, I, I don't know if they, it was, in, I'm sure that was probably intentional to some degree um, by John Cadson and the creators behind this series. But overall, I think that's actually kind of brilliant when you think about it in, uh, in a grander sense. So, I also saw some some Ray parallels here too, with her saying like, "I'm just a nobody. I don't I don't have anything. I don't have a claim to title or or whatnot. I I'm nothing." And uh, come on, Laura, you you are something. You are you are somebody. Although you didn't know who you are, that's you still have a chance to forge your own destiny, your own path. So I thought I thought that's neat, but. Again, always in motion the future is a prophecy misread could have been. I don't know if Alora Dan actually has to die for the world to survive. So we'll see if we learn more about the nightmare sequence and all that stuff. But it's definitely willing hanging hanging over Willow's head as he's as he's teaching her. And I don't know how often he's been able to teach other people about magic too. So this may be some growing pains for all of them, just as much as I think Luke and and Ray had to overcome some of that. Uh, initial animosity that comes between masters and and apprentices and teachers and learners and students and all that stuff. So I, I like the dynamics overall between these these groups. And the, the cast, again, is just such a great standout. The writing is certainly giving them a lot of fertile fruit to pick from when it comes to 
um, their choices and how they're able to portray these 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 characters that are are dealing with some big themes overall for for um, the series. We get a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. Not only does Alora start to have this plant grow more than a few inches too, which Willow was saying, like, if you get it a few inches, that would be great right now. Uh, that plant starts to grow almost fully. I mean, if it, were, if it were to keep lingering on the on the shot there, I imagine that it would grow pretty big. It had to have been at least two feet tall by the end of when it, the camera cut out. But Commander Ballantine knocks out Alora Dan and, and captures her. Um, and I don't think anyone yet knows about her disappearance. So they're going to have a good head start on wherever they take her before the group finds out that she's actually missing. And then when they realize that they're on horses, that they'll have to actually get mount their own horses too, instead of going two by two through the woods to hunt for her. Yikes. Yeah. That's going to leave for a very interesting uh, aspect for where C episode three is going to go. And I cannot wait until um, we're, we're there. Her magical journey has officially reawakened. So I wonder if she's going to start like Ray when she learns uh, her, her, her force abilities and she's able to connect with that and believe in herself a bit more, um, especially in that Starkiller-based sequence at the end of uh, The Force Awakens, if she's going to have a bit more to say along the way. Um, so we're just going to have to figure out uh, where this all goes. So we're going to have this this, this fun uh, high fantasy capture sequence and and, and they're going to hunt down where Laura Dannon is, has been taken. Um after after this so we're gonna see where this all goes and it's gonna be fun to join the character's journey along the way i wanted to note before uh we close out our episode here that the song in the credits which i have certainly been enjoying i hope you are too this is really a um a neat aspect that i was not expecting for the show overall is that these end credit scenes would be uh riddled with with some great pop punk music if you will the song is called Hurdy Gurdy Man, which is per performed by a group called Sir Jude. So if you are interested in that song, that track, be sure to go search it out on YouTube or any Apple, uh, Apple iTunes or Spotify streaming platform that you may have. So with that, everybody, that's all that I had for my thoughts for episode two of Willow. We're continuing this strong run through the series the characters are all set i feel like they're established very well and we're heading off on another grand adventure here i'm sure we'll have more people join us along the way as as uh this group carries on on its journey and we're going to be here each and every week on forest ghost conversations to discuss it all so i hope that you at home have been enjoying the series as much as i have this has been a such a treat to be able to discuss the show with each and every one of you so I hope that you continue on the journey, too, with us as we go about all things Willow. So with that, everybody, uh, be sure to continue the conversation with us on all of our social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Hive. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you feel so inclined, be sure to share the show with a friend and continue to grow the seats around the Forest Ghost Conversations campfire. And with that, everybody, we'll be back on Sunday discussing Episode 3 of Willow. May the force be with you.